You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Let me pray for us and we'll jump into our series today. Jesus, uh, I just get out of the way. I just ask your Holy Spirit to speak in and through me as we're in this time together. God, would you reinforce the truths that you want your people here to hear? In Jesus' name, and we all said, amen. Awesome. Well, I know a young adult who grew tired of the church talking about doing good. He he just watched his whole life growing up. His parents just sit and listen. But they never did anything to change their friends, to change their neighborhood, to, to make any difference really in their city or in their world. And so he left the church, wandered away from it to make a difference in his community. I know a young woman who said, well, why do we have to care so much about all these other countries? We have enough problems in our own country. We should just focus on what's going on in our backyard. We can't be concerned with all the pain and all the problems and all the woundedness of the rest of the world. But as I pressed the issue deeper with this lady, she admitted she does very little to wade into the problems of our country or our city or her neighborhood. I know a 15-year-old girl who said, I know that God is good. I've seen him start to change my family. She said, my dad has started going to church. Not only that, my dad has started helping at church, and ever since he started helping, um, he talks different when he drives. And I interjected, I'm like, oh, oh, he didn't swear? And she goes, no, 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 no. he still does that sometimes. <laughs> but she said, we have these neighbors, and she, she's so funny, she's 15, she's like, she leans forward, she's like, they have problems right, about her neighbors. She's like, but when we drive, like, we have these neighbors, and they've got problems. But my dad has started saying, you know what, we're going to step in and do something this year to help those neighbors, where before he just used to drive by. She said he talks different when he drives. She's seen the change. I know a young adult who went on a mission trip and said, I wanted to rescue every single kid, every one of them, But I realized for the first time in my life, I couldn't just suggest or throw a quick fix at a global problem. I wanted to do good, but God is going to have to show us how to build a firm foundation and build positive steps and practical solutions in another culture. Do you ever feel that tension? You want to do good. You want to make a difference. But the problems sometimes are so big. The things seem so hard. And you're like, how does it work? How could I actually do good? Well, we've been in this series called Tension. And let me walk over here and just walk us through the different areas that we've talked about. Ever since we started, we'll deal with these two today. But ever since we started, we talked about you can know God in a moment. But God is a mystery. You can know him. You can know the God of the universe. It's a personal relationship. It's not a faith religion. It's a relationship with God. You can know him, but God is a mystery. God can do what God wants to do. We've talked about that God has ideals, an ideal way for you to handle your finances. Scripture is full of financial advice, an ideal way for you to handle your relationships, your marriage, your children, your occupation, the ethics in which you operate. God has ideals, but praise be to God that he uses broken people. Amen? That's us, right? The Bible is all true, But there are some truths about life that aren't actually in the Bible. They're true. Now, the Bible becomes a filter through which we decipher what the world tells us is true and find out, is it just truth about life that just doesn't happen to be in the Bible, but it's true? Or is it an anti-biblical falsehood? We've talked about you can come to know Christ in a moment, but it will take you forever to figure out what that means. That means keep growing. You're not done yet. You have the rest of your life. You have to continue to keep growing in your walk with God. Your beliefs matter. 
but people matter more. And if your beliefs cause you to mistreat people, then something's wrong with your beliefs. Wouldn't politics be refreshing if we operated that way? Amen? Church. You go to church, you're to enjoy church. You should enjoy church. And you should enjoy living in the world. And this means you should be able to have conversations with people without throwing in a bunch of religiosity. That you've got to learn how to have conversations and relate to people in our world. But you can enjoy the natural world that God has created. Not the world system that tells us to go against the Lord and just serve ourselves. And last week, time we talked about trust can grow your faith. But also doubt can grow your faith. That there's a tension between the two. That God's going to leverage and use both when you and I trust him and we, we trust and we risk and we see that God is faithful. Other times when we doubt and we find that God is faithful, both can grow our faith. And today we'll talk about God is good. And you and I should do good. God is good, and you should do good. Now, you might think that looking at all these things, that they're a strange mix of theology. Like, that's just weird, because maybe the church you grew up in or the religion that you experienced, they would just talk about one part of that, not the tension of the other. And you would say it's kind of a weird mix of religion. How, how do you do that? How do you, how do you make life practically, experientially deal with applicable faith? Well, it's kind of like, the young man who went to his pastor and said, Pastor, I believe in predestination. Pastor said, oh, that's good. And the guy said, no, I believe really strongly. I'm very Calvinistic. I believe in predestination. And, and I actually like this girl. I, I really like her. In fact, I want to ask her out. And, uh, and, but I just figure since God is sovereign, if it's going to happen, it's just going to happen. Well, the pastor put his hand on that young man's shoulder and said, son, I'm glad you believe in predestination. But you better date like you believe in free will, right? That there are times that practically in what we experience, we're going to say, listen, there are truths that are in the Bible, but if you only teach, if you only teach the left-hand side of those things, you only teach the ideals about God, whenever you and I break or fall short of the ideal, we're going to think if we only heard one side growing up, if we only heard one side in the church, if we only heard one side, we might think that we can't experience the love of God. But the truth is God uses broken people. It's not a problem to solve. It's a tension to manage. And that's what I want you to catch. It's not a problem to solve. It's a tension to manage. If you solve either problem, if all you ever do is talk about broken people, if all you ever do is talk about just being broken, I'm broken all the time, then you're stuck. If all you ever do is talk about God's ideals, then you never have hope for your brokenness. It's not a problem to solve. It's a tension to manage. If you t attempt to solve the problems by removing the other, you create more problems. That's what God helps us understand and how he wants us to operate. Today we'll talk about that God is good and you and I should do good. But there's some things I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you have some internal nature of just being a good person and therefore you don't need God. I'm not saying that. I don't believe you and I have some internal nature on our own to be good. I believe we were born into sin. We need God. We have a sin problem. We need hope. I am saying that because, though, you and I are created into the image of God, that you have potential in your life to be good and to actually do good. Some of you think, I don't know if I can do any good. No, you, if you are created in the image of God, if you've accepted Christ into your life, if you have God's Holy Spirit in you, you have the potential to not only be good, but do good, that we have that capacity within us. When I talk about that God is good and you and I 
should do good, I'm not talking about being good to get God's approval. I'm not trying to say, like, I got to perform, God, I got to do things so that you love me more. No, God loves us. He loves us. He loves us. He loves us. He will also challenge our disobedience, but it doesn't mean that he loves us less. He loves us. I'm not talking about trying to do good without Jesus and the Holy Spirit living through you. What I am talking about is practically, you should do good to project the character of God. You should do good because you were created in God's image. You should do good because he's put his Holy Spirit inside you. And the Holy Spirit gives you spiritual gifts to enable you to do good work. That's what God wants. It's part of his will. It's part of what he intended when he called you to himself. Listen, at the end of the day, you and I do not have the excuse to not do good. We don't have the excuse. God has given us the capacity and the power to do good work. The reason that this is so important is we're speaking to a generation that is listening and watching and they're growing up and they're, they're hearing, hey, this is good news. They're saying, here is the hope. Here is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. But if you're not leading those people into the trenches of the hurting and the broken and the problems in our world, then we're not demonstrating to them that this is really real. We're just saying, hey, here's hope, and it's an ideology, but we're not actually showing them, here's how that ideology plays out. God is good, and you and I should do good. It's what he wants to do. we got to tell people, listen, this is not a game. If all we do is talk about ideology, hey, God's good, and you ought to do good, but you and I never do good, then people never catch that value. That next generation will say, listen, the church doesn't do good. They're irrelevant, and they'll walk away. This is not a game. God has called you and I to do good as he is good. And Jesus said it this way, in the same way in Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus is being very open about it. Listen, do good stuff. Let that shine. Don't keep it secret. Paul said in Ephesians 2, 10, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I want you to wrap your mind around that for a minute. God has prepared in advance good work for you to do. Not just a church to do, not just all churches to do, but he's actually very specific, very individual, just as he gave you a very unique look as he gave you just a very unique personality, as God has done that, God knows specifically through his Holy Spirit what he wants you to do. He's got a good work for you to do. It's God's will that you and I do those things. And here's the problem. If you and I in these areas, if we don't fight for the tension, people will reject, end up rejecting what is true because of what they will experience. What do you mean by that? Well, they're gonna, if all we do is preach these things over here, if all we do is preach these things, these are the things that are true. And if we only stay here, then people will end up rejecting what is true because they experience this, don't they? They'll say, your beliefs matter, but you are horrible to me. So guess what? I think people matter more, but I'm going to reject what you believe because you treat people really bad. Right? We run that risk. We got a world that's watching. We got kids who are growing up in our homes, and what we got to do is manage the tension between these things. We got to manage it so that they don't reject the truth because of what they experience in life. 
they'll hear that God is good. What happens when something bad happens in their life? Well, I can't believe that God is good because bad things happen in the world. I can't believe God is good because bad things happen in my life. They may reject what is true about God because they think God didn't just operate in a way that served them. We've got to teach both that God is good and there are real problems in our world and there are real problems in the people around us and God has called us to do good and be the hope of the world, the hands and feet of Jesus. Well, where do we start? God wants today... For some of us, he wants your eyes opened. He wants you to suddenly have an aha this morning. He wants you to, to have your eyes open. For others of you, uh, he wants you to be able to speak. Maybe you've been silent for a while, and God wants to open up the opportunity for you to be able to talk a little bit about what God wants to do in and through you. But there's lots of good things out there that you and I could do, but where do we start? Where should you and I start? If you're taking notes today on your outline, here's what I'm going to have you do. Take that outline out and open your Bible to Matthew chapter 9 beginning with verse 27. But on your outline, as we walk through that today, here's something that's really important I want you to catch. Sometimes we say, it's, it's such a big problem. How can, I, how can I change anything? How can I make any sort of difference? It's such a big problem. Well, let me ask you this. Like, you might say, how, I couldn't solve like, solving the issue of sex trafficking in America or in a place like India. No, you probably couldn't. But could you help with one person? Could you help one boy or one girl and help sponsor them so that they're not in the condition of their village where they're just walked into self-driving? Could you, do, could you help one? Some of you heard that illustration about all these starfish rolled up on the shore and they were all dying in the sun and this one little kid is like grabbing one, throwing it back in the water, running back, grabbing another. And this guy walking down the beach is like, what are you doing? You can't solve this. Uh, how is this even going to matter? The little kid's like, well, it matters to this one. Making a difference to this one. The problem's really big, but where do you and I start? It's a huge problem. So my, my question for you today is this. Could you do for one what you wish you could do for everyone? Where do you and I start? We start by doing for one what we wish we could do for everyone. Jesus is on the earth. He's wandering around. He's beginning to start his ministry. And in Matthew chapter 9, if you'll follow along with me, it, we find this out about Jesus. It says, as Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, have mercy on us, son of David. And when he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and he asked them, do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. And then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. And Jesus warned them sternly, see to it that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over that region. It is an interesting story for a minute, right? Here's Jesus. He's healing people. He's doing some things. These blind guys come to him, and he asks them a question. And I want you to catch what he asks them. He asks them this. He asks them this question. Do you believe that I am able so he didn't say, hey, do you believe that somehow you could get better from your blindness? Uh, no, no, he's asking them, do you believe that I? They're seeking who? Who can heal me of my problem? Who can save me? Jesus is saying, hey, of all the people, there's a lot of ways you could go look at doctors and you know, magicians out there, whatever. Do you believe I could do this? That's what he's asking them. Do you believe me? Yes, they replied. And then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And sometimes people read that and they think, according to your faith, well, these guys must have had a lot of faith. Like it must be the degree of faith that they had. 
But that's errant theology, because if you think about it, like, where's the line? Where it's like, I have some faith, and all of a sudden, ooh, I had enough faith. No, the point is, in fact, literally in the Greek, here in the Greek and Aramaic, here's what this means. The statement that literally right there in the passage is this. Jesus says, because you have faith, because you have faith. He's not talking about the amount. He's already, he's asked, do you believe I can do this? They said, yes, we believe you. And he's like, okay, because you have faith in me, then this will be done to you. But sometimes people misunderstand that, and they try to take it out of context. They try to say, oh, you got to have a certain amount of faith. If you don't have enough faith, and you don't have healing. So if you're sick and you don't get well, you just got lousy faith. That's called spiritual abuse. Tell a person in a wheelchair who's paralyzed, if you just had more faith, just get up and walk. It's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is saying, do you believe I could do this? They're an audience with him. He's about to act at that moment. They say, yes, we believe. But then he says something very strange. And Jesus did this more than once. He would heal somebody, and then he would, like, say, hey, don't tell anybody. But think about that for a minute. Let's picture that for a minute. Okay, you're blind, so maybe you've got to close your eyes for just a moment. Maybe you're just closing your eyes, and you're thinking, I'm blind. Okay, and all of a sudden, I'm going to go from being blind, I'm going to go to being able to have sight. Well, guess what? People know you. They know your look. They know how you operate. They know your voice. And you're going to go to the grocery store, and people be like, like well, you, normally you got led through here. How are you, like, walking through here now? Like, like you know, uh, you go down to the DMV, and you're like, no, I literally, I want to take a driving test. And they say, yeah, but it says, you know, you're, you're legally blind. I know. I got to get my ID changed, right? You know, so there's all these, like, think about it. Like, you, you'd tell everybody. You would go home, and people would, and people would talk. If you were blind, and you got to the point where you could see, people will talk, won't they? That's just the way it works. Why did Jesus tell them, don't tell anyone around them about this? I need you to understand the context of what's happening here. Uh, Jesus is about to heal people, and guess what? There's a whole crowd. There's people who are watching. There's people who are so excited about this. They want to be around Jesus, not just to get healed, but they want, they want to see it happen. Like, Jesus has healed blind people. We want to see this. And they're all around here. And so when Jesus speaks to, let's say, these two blind guys, he knows everybody's listening. And Jesus is warning them sternly, but what happens? They go on and blab all about it anyway. Do you think that maybe Jesus was like, darn it, I should make those guys blind again? Like it backfired. Do you think maybe Jesus was using reverse psychology? Hey, guys, don't tell. But, you know, he knows really they're going to, you know, how are they not going to tell? Of course they are. Jesus is making a message for all who would hear around him. And what he's doing, he's pushing back at the false expectations of the Jewish people who wanted a political and national messiah. He, his mission was not to cause and stir an uprising against the Roman Empire. That was not Jesus' mission. And so he knows what's the nature of people. Man, if we could just attach ourselves, think about it, you think about this way politically already. If we could just get a great leader and get that person to run for office, then it might make my life better, your life better. If we could just do it, we put our hopes in somebody to change the current nature of our experience and our condition. The Jewish people were no different. Man, if we could just, this guy can heal people. If we could just get him to do good, think of all the good that could happen. In fact, the Romans would have to leave. How great would that be? And Jesus is pushing back saying, that is not my agenda. That's what Jesus is doing there. He knows they're going to go tell. But Jesus is telling everyone else there who wants to elevate him to their agenda that that's not what I came to do. Well, the story goes on. Look with me at verse 32. And while they were going out, 
a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute did what? Everybody help me out here. The man who was mute, there you go, spoke. Let's get everybody to do it, ready? The person in the audience who was mute, there we go, very good, right on. So he spoke, right? This guy, he couldn't talk. The demon forced him to not be able to talk, and so all of a sudden, he spoke. And the crowd was amazed and said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, it is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. Now picture, you're right here, this. Jesus heals these blind guys, right? Remember, Jesus healed other blind guys. Remember, we talked about this in this series. The first guy, he spit on the ground. He got a lot of spit because he made mud. It was a lot of, you know, really disgusting. He, he got mud, and then he put it on the guy's eyes. And everyone's like, oh, gross, you know. But Jesus did that, put it on the guy's eyes, and he touched him, and the man was healed of his blindness. The other time, he bypassed the whole mud stage, and he just went right on the guy's face, right in the eyes, and then Jesus put his hands on him and, and, and went once and then twice put his hands on again and then touched the guy. He healed in a different way. This time, he bypasses the whole spitting thing again, and he just goes straight to these two guys. It's now two-on-one, and he just puts his hands out. He touches them, and they are healed. Remember, we've talked that Jesus healed differently, even for the same issue, because people attached to how it was done. If we just figure out how it was done, and Jesus says, no, no, it's not about how it was done. It was about who did it. Who did it? Who could change your heart? When you say that, right? Oh, I had a change of heart. Well, did you have it, or did the conditions around you and maybe even God's Holy Spirit begin to give you the gift of being able to change a hardened heart? To have new eyes to see like God sees, a new heart to do what God does, to have an epiphany by which you say, I want to be a do-gooder now. Who changes the heart? Well, the same Jesus has this guy brought who's demon-possessed. And I want you to just pause for a minute. Because you read in the Bible and you're like, oh yeah, demon-possessed person. But if you saw one, a person actually demon-possessed, without a show of hands, how many of you, you would absolutely like think you'd freak out a little bit? Okay, you gotta, we got a show of hands. They're like, I would, for sure, right? But I got to let you know, there are people who are demon-possessed. It's real. There are demons. There are angels, and there are fallen angels. Fallen angels now serve Satan, and they are demons. And if you think you saw somebody like that, sometimes you would freak out. And, and what happens is you got the Pharisees who are here, and I want you to picture this for just a minute. you got the Pharisees watching this. Jesus casts out a demon. This guy is able to speak. The demon leaves him. He's able to speak again like a normal person. He's just able to speak, and the people, their response is this. Praise be to God, like no one's done this in all of Israel. This is awesome. Guess what? The Pharisees are standing there and they're like, they're critical. Because all the Pharisees know is doing good on the outside for the show for people. I want to look great on the outside, but inside I'm full of what Jesus said was dead men's bones. They're whitewashed tombs. The outside looks good, but the inside is rotten and stinks. Because they had an outward appearance of doing good, but on the inside they were corrupt. Well, they're there, so what do they see? They start to see Jesus doing miracles. They see authentic power from God, and they can't stand it. And so what do they do? They make the dumbest statement in the statement of statements, in the history of, of religious statements. Listen to what they say. Let's, let's say this for just a minute, right? This is what they say. But the Pharisees said, quote, it is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. 
Okay, that would be like you watching sports and saying your sports team intentionally created penalties to help the other team win on purpose. Okay, if you went on you know, ESPN, sports analysis or anything, they would mock you for that view, wouldn't they? Why? Because it would be the dumbest view in all the views of sports in the history of views of sports, right? Because nobody would say that, but that's what happens because the Pharisees are jealous. The Pharisees see authentic power from God. All the Pharisees know is trying to be good. I'm trying to be good. I'm trying to be good and have an impression that I'm good. And don't ever let people see your cracks or your faults. They're jealous. And so this is what they actually do. I want you to understand the degree to what they actually did right here. They attributed the power of God, the source of that being Satan. They pointed and said, this is of the devil. They were blind to the fact that it was the power of God. The rest of the people, the regular people, people are just like, this is awesome. This is God's power. But not the Pharisees. Number two in your outline says, do you have faith? Do you have faith in who can change you? Then believe who can heal you and make you bold. See, Jesus is not going to say, can you make yourself better? Jesus is going to say, do you believe that I can change you? That's all I need to know. Do you believe that I could change you? And if so, then God can make you bold. You're believing who? It's, it's the I am. Jesus is saying, do you believe I am the one who can heal you? The blind man said, yes. Jesus healed them because they just had enough faith in Jesus as being the one who heals them. Not just faith in faith. Not faith in their own goodness, their own performance. I mean, think about it for a minute. What if you were supposed to be good because you were good? Well, I'm just good because I'm a good person. Yeah, good luck with that, right? No, we're supposed to do good because Jesus is good. He's good. He's perfect. He's transformed our life. But because of Jesus, I'm good. But what happens? The enemy comes along and wants to whisper to you, you can't do that. You shouldn't serve that way. You shouldn't volunteer. You shouldn't open up your lips and sing on Sunday morning because you're not good enough. No, 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 time out. Jesus is good enough, and because he's good enough, I can speak. Because he's good enough, I can believe. Because he's good enough, I can do good. He can make me bold. Even though I'm aware of my sinfulness, I believe he can heal me and he can make me bold. Number three on your outline, merely religious people will criticize the freedom and the miraculous work of God in your life. Speak anyway. What'll happen? You start getting free, you start acting boldly, you start to do, and people will be like, hey, you're trying to act all ideal, but I know you're broken. Speak anyway. Hey, I know you think you, you know, you're acting like you got it all together, like you know everything about beliefs, but let me tell you, you treat people bad sometimes, still be bold anyway. Keep growing, keep going, because Jesus is good, and there will be those who are religious, who will put up their noses, they will look down on you and they will invalidate what God is doing in you and what God wants to do through you. But Jesus is not deterred by them. The people look and they see. They look and they're like, this is awesome. Jesus cast out a demon, healed this person. He can speak now. And then the Pharisees are fussing about it. And people see through that because they begin to see, look at, you're revealing through your mouth the condition of your heart. You guys are all a show but have no power. Jesus has power to transform. 
Well, there will always be those who have religious beliefs but no power who will criticize the power of God in you. Verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So Jesus has been doing the ministry. He's got his 12 disciples right there, but he's saying to everybody, listen, ask God to send out workers into the harvest. There is much work to be done. God, after Jesus left the earth, he entrusted it to 12 guys and said, through you, the good news of the gospel and the good work of the church is going to happen worldwide. Worldwide? Well, how is that going to happen through just 12? Well, he's going to do it through in and through us. God has good works he's prepared in advance for you to do. In fact, when I ask God to send out workers into the fields, God works in my heart to do good in my field. Do you understand that? If you were to say, okay, Lord, we're going to, I'm going to obey you. I'm going to ask you to send workers out to help solve the hurts, the habits, the hang-ups, help solve the, the brokenness in our world, then God is going to begin to work in your heart because he's got a good work for you to do. You realize for some of you, there are certain things that make you sad, mad, or glad. Think about it for a minute. What injustices make you mad? Really mad. What things make you happy? What things make you really sad? And God will often use those things because he's preparing your heart to take the blinders off and help you see the work that he might be calling you to do. But what happens, it's really easy for us to stand there and go, this makes me really angry. The church should do something about that. God's like, you're the church. It's you. You're the church. It's you. He may be calling you to do something. Listen, I believe in here today that there are some of you, you physically can see but you've been operating for a while with blinders on. You're saying, I have the right to not do good. I have the right to consume but not contribute. I have the right to, to just be about my own world and, and ignore the problems that are out there in my neighborhood or in the world, and, and you just want to put the blinders on, and today Jesus wants to make you be able to see. He's saying, do you have faith in me? And that reciprocates to something that happens through you. He wants to remove our blindness. I love that there's a, a guy in our church, and for years he looked down on people who were homeless and just had horrible, nasty, critical things to say about those people. And God began to work in his heart and open his eyes, and he now works with and wades in and helps out people who are homeless. He has a passion for it. God has done some change in his heart. He used to say horrible things about anyone who even helped homeless people, and now God has given him a compassion for that. There are others you would say, why would a person like me in, in you know, middle-class America or low-class America or high-class America, why would a person like me ever care about something in another country or another part of the world? And God will open the blinders of your eyes and he'll help you have his heart, his compassion for the problems and the concerns of our world because it is him. It's you looking around saying there are people who are like sheep without a shepherd and you have compassion on them. God wants to work in you. I also believe in this room. There are people, you might not have a demon, but you got your demons, and your demons are telling you not to speak. You might not have a demon, 
but your demons in your life, they're telling you you can't speak because you're not perfect. You shouldn't do that because you're afraid you might lose your job. You, you, you can't do this. You've got to be you know, super careful. You can't open up and share with your neighbors that just they might not like you or you know, whatever. And for whatever reason, you've just kind of closed off your mouth. And even when you come to church, it's hard for you to lift up praise. It's hard for you to, to honor God with the fruit of your lips by what you say or what you sing because your demons are making you silent. And God today wants to heal you of your blindness. God today wants to heal you where you've been mute. And he has the power to make you bold. He has the power to give you the words to say, God is good, and you should do good. So when I ask God to send workers into the fields, God's going to work in my heart to do good in my field. Let me ask you this morning, where is God leading you to do good? What's he calling you to? Reggie Joyner said it best as we wrap up this tension series. Reggie Joyner really said it best when he said, he said, listen, don't be that Christian. You say, what do you mean by don't be that Christian? Well, let me give you some examples. First of all, you've got a responsibility as we look over there. You've got a responsibility to do good because God is good. God's good. We have a responsibility to do good, so don't be irresponsible. Don't be that Christian. Don't be the irresponsible Christian. He says this, trust God, but also engage your doubts because trust can grow your faith and doubts can grow your faith, so don't be threatened. Don't be threatened. Don't be that, that Christian who's like, oh my goodness, someone had doubts. Or, oh my goodness, I had doubts. No, engage them. Work through them. Engage God in your doubts. Don't be threatened by him. God is so much bigger than that. We go here. You should enjoy church, and you should enjoy living in the world, which means you should learn to have conversations with people who that don't have a bunch of religiosity in them. Just have a conversation with people in our world. So please, please, don't be weird. <laughs> please don't. Don't be that Christian, right? Don't be weird. Don't be weird. Next one, your beliefs matter, but people matter more. Don't be a jerk. That's actually not the word I wanted to use. Don't be a jerk. Don't be that Christian, right? Don't be that one who, who says, my beliefs, and then you get all nasty with people, and you, you just write them up and down. Don't be that person who like looks at anybody and has a blog, and then you look for anybody who disagrees with you and your religious belief, and then you're a jerk to that person online. Don't be that person. Listen, sometimes I get emails, and uh, I shouldn't respond to them. Sometimes I do, but then fortunately, I have somebody else read it, and they're like, you cannot send this. <laughs> you cannot send that back to that person. Right? Somebody's going to be a jerk to you. Don't be that jerk back, right? Next one. You can know God in a moment, but it will take you forever to figure out what that means, which means keep growing. Don't be shallow. Don't say, I accepted Christ, and that's good enough. I'm free and clear. I accepted God. No, you need to continue to learn. You need to continue to dig into God's word. You have a lifetime of learning and growing. You are always going to walk with Jesus and understand you're not done reading the Bible. You're not done sharing your faith. You're not done. Listen, some of you in this room, I, I just want to say, listen, if you're in, a man and you're in your 50s or even 60s, don't think you're done. God has good work for you to do. 
I've got a bunch of young guys who just need an older man to walk and mentor them, walk them through this book called Operation Timothy. Just help them understand. Don't say, hey, it's for the young people of the church to do now. I've paid my dues. Don't believe it. Don't be shallow. Don't let your life grow and then become shallow and plain out. Keep going. Keep growing. Don't be shallow. Keep learning. The Bible is all true. But there are other truths about life that are just simply not in the Bible. So keep learning. Keep growing. Don't be an idiot. Right? Don't just be, oh, I only got blinders on. It's only the Bible. The Bible is all true, but there are other truths out there about life. In fact, those other truths will amplify the truth in the Bible. Keep learning. Read in a lot of different areas. God has ideals, but he uses broken people. So don't get stuck. Don't get stuck. See, some of you, you want to get stuck in your brokenness. Well, I'm just broken, so I can't do good. No, no, God's saying, listen, I use broken people, and I want you to live toward my ideals. You say, well, I haven't lived up to God's ideal. I can never change my finances. I can never change how I do my life. I can't change. And God's saying, don't get stuck. You keep pursuing me. You keep growing. Don't get stuck. Don't get stuck on the ideals, and don't get stuck broken. And last... You can know God personally. You can know him. You can know God. But God is a mystery. And so don't be arrogant. Don't be arrogant. Don't be that guy. Don't be that girl who thinks that you got God. I know all there is to know about God. No, you can know God, but let me let you know, at the end of the day, people who knew God very well still find out he's a mystery, that God can do whatever he wants to do, that God is bigger than your opinion. Don't be arrogant. Have cordial discussions, but don't be arrogant. Don't put God in a box because I believe that the day comes when our eyes will fully be open, when our mouths will speak the greatness of God, and we will find that maybe we were hung up on our opinion far too long. God is good, and he wants you to do good. So what does that mean? It's time to stop consuming and start contributing. It's not just good enough just to come to church and soak it in like a sponge, but you never, like a sponge, use it to clean anything up. You just slurp it all in, but God is saying, stop consuming. We are the church. The church exists for the world. We exist for the lost that they would know about Jesus. So we are the church. So we have the job of being the ones to take as we receive in here, take what we do in here, and let it make a difference in the world out there. We have that job. That's us. God called us to be good because he's good. So God wants us to open our mouths. God wants us to remove the blinders and begin to follow him even more closely. So what does it mean? It means volunteer. It means do something. Build this church. Reach the hurting. Make your life count for something bigger than just yourself. God wants you and I to manage the tensions as he is good, that we reflect his image, that we do good. And we lift up our Father who is in heaven. Will you pray with me? Just bow your heads, close your eyes. It all starts by acknowledging that God is good and that you're not. That you have sinned. But the beautiful thing is that God says, I hung on a cross to cancel out your sin. Do you believe that, that you could be healed? Do you believe that my life could change? Jesus is simply asking you today, listen, you, if you believe in me, 
then you will be saved. If you believe that I can change you, you will be saved. If you believe that my death on the cross paid for your sin, you will be saved. The question starts, are you saved? And if today you're realizing for the first time that Jesus' death on the cross has the capacity to cancel out your sin and wash you white as snow, and you'd like to know God, then you can right now. It's simply by asking him through faith into your heart. What does that mean? It means you pray. So if that's you today, you start by knowing Jesus. You pray a prayer like this right after me. You just pray it silently right where you're sitting. On the inside, God even hears you. Jesus, today I give you me. I believe your death on the cross paid for my sin. I receive that. I believe you died and were in the grave, that you rose to new life, that you were God. And I ask you to make me a new creation on the inside. God, change me. God, clean me up on the inside, forgiving all my sin. Because today, Jesus, I give you me. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.